0: Hi, welcome to the Energy Podcast. Today, we're talking to Jeff Ward, CEO of the Hazer Group, an innovative clean technology company developing a new way of making hydrogen with low CO2 emissions. Today, we explore the fundamentals of hydrogen, renewable energy, and what it means for our future.
1: What does a hydrogen-fueled world look like? Uh, In many ways, it looks like the world we currently see. Um, you know, a hydrogen truck, as as it drove past you, probably wouldn't look that different from a, mm. a diesel-fired truck. You just wouldn't have it emitting any particulates, <laughs> any nitrogen dioxide or, so NOx and SOx, as they call it. Yes. You know, nitrogen oxides and sulphur oxides. But what I sort of see is that if we go back 20 years, and let's use Australia as an example, you know, where, where we had you know, predominantly coal-fired power with a small amount of gas. We come now and we're at a point where we've got a reasonable amount of renewables, we've got a reasonable amount of gas and we've still got a lot of coal. And in the future, you know, we will make a transition to the point where we have much higher levels of renewables. We'll probably still have you know, some gas at, uh, as a, a marginal and swing fuel. And hydrogen will be playing a role in allowing either renewable energy to be moved around the country to where it's needed, and whether that's as, um, through a pipeline, whether that's compressed in a truck, well, hydrogen can also be transported as a liquid, either by liquefying gas, the same way we do as uh, natural gas, or by what they call a carrier liquid, so ammonia. Right. We currently transport ammonia all around the world to make fertiliser. Ammonia is primarily hydrogen. So one way of transporting hydrogen is to make ammonia sure. and then at its destination split it back to hydrogen and nitrogen. So, so you know, I think you'll see that you know, hydrogen will move around the same way that we currently move around gas and diesel hydrogen um, is really versatile in that it can be used in turbines or it could be used in furnaces so where we currently maybe are using natural gas you know to power turbines um, or power uh, furnaces we now may be using hydrogen Um, as of you know today i can buy off the shelf from really well-known tier one oems original equipment manufacturers you know, a turbine that can burn 80% hydrogen, 20% natural gas. Really? And we expect 100% tur- hydrogen turbines to be available you know, within 12 months. If,
0: if there was one thing you wanted everyone to know about hydrogen energy, what would it be?
1: I think the things that intrigued me, what attracted me to working in the hydrogen sector and why I think that we're um, at the start, we're in the first couple of years of what will be a multi-decade investment boom and that will transform our energy system you know, from you know, diesel Oil, gas, coal, and electricity to solar, wind, electricity, hydrogen is the unbelievable versatility of hydrogen right. and how it actually addresses so many of the issues that people bring up as barriers to why we cannot transition um, to low carbon sources. And what it actually does is it answers the question of how do you run uh, energy intensity and energy intensive a modern economy mm. uh, on wind and solar and simply the answer is hydrogen right and what is hydrogen energy right. well hydrogen um obviously is a uh you know is an element yes it's, it's <laughs> the smallest element and has an atomic mass of one for those who remember their high school yep. chemistry um, it's made up of one proton and one electron yep. so it's the smallest lightest element in the universe and actually it's one of the most abundant elements in the universe but it always exists in compounds you know, it makes okay. up Hydrocarbons, hydrogen and carbons. It makes up water, H2O. And so hydrogen is abundant everywhere, Mm. but not necessarily in the form of of pure hydrogen. Um, And so what is hydrogen energy? Well, hydrogen uh, can be used to generate power and heat. And so hydrogen is a molecule, so you can store it like you'd store methane or like you'd store natural gas or like you'd store propane. And so it overcomes the shortcomings of many other renewable feedstocks. Now, hydrogen can be thought of as a renewable energy because in the future, and we can currently already do this, but we'll do it more and at a bigger scale and at a lower cost in the future, you can make hydrogen from wind, energy, solar energy, any mm-hmm. form of electricity, but particularly renewable energy, um, and water. Right? So you use an electric current to split um, the water molecule into hydrogen and oxygen. Right. Now, the other half of that equation is that if you combine hydrogen and oxygen in a fuel cell... hmm You get out electricity plus water plus heat. Right. So you take heat, electricity and water to make hydrogen and you get out heat, electricity and water. And so that cycle can be infinitely repeated without um, producing any carbon or releasing any carbon or releasing any waste. Fantastic. Now, hydrogen itself can be used many different ways. Um, the uh, The World Hydrogen Council... Um, sort of a global peak body for encouraging, you know, the transition to hydrogen and the use of hydrogen. So it has identified seven ways that it can decarbonise um, an economy. And you can draw a future, a future based on technologies which are available today of how in the future we could run all aspects of our economy on energy from renewable sources, storage through battery, hydro, hydro you know, pumped hydro and hydrogen, But also hydrogen can directly replace diesel um, in heavy fleets or in vehicles um, through the use of fuel cell electric vehicles. And that's an electric vehicle, but rather than getting its electric power from a battery where it's been pre-stored, you make electric power on demand through a fuel cell from hydrogen you put in the tank. So then you can imagine that your truck, your ferry, your train, you know, or your big SUV, you know, operating in a remote and rural area where you do not close to charging or electrical mm-hmm. infrastructure, has a tank full
0: of hydrogen, the same way today you have a tank full of diesel. Really? So where does hydrogen sit in, in amongst other uh, renewable energy sources well, in terms of its uses, in terms of you know, its, its, its growth and kind of its great. adoption? Well, I
1: think hydrogen is really at the, only at the very early stage of adoption in the energy market. So, one thing sort of for for context, it's important to sort of realize is that we actually have a very large hydrogen industry today. It's just invisible to the everyday consumer. Okay. So hydrogen is used extensively in um, oil refining and petrochemicals. Okay. so we use hydrogen to remove sulfur from diesel fuel and crude oil, and that's probably the world's largest use of hydrogen. Um we also use hydrogen to manufacture a whole range of everyday basic um, chemicals and Products. So ammonia mm-hmm. is primarily hydrogen. Okay. Is, ammonia is NH3OH. It's primarily hydrogen and nitrogen. Ammonium nitrate, explosives to, the, to everybody, yep. <laughs> is, again, a very big you know, component of hydrogen. Hydrogen is used in manufacturing of glass, in optical fibres, um, semiconductors. So we actually, as an industry, you know, um, are very, very good at making hydrogen, safely storing it as we need it measuring it, containing it, and processing it. So there's this huge batch of um, industrial skills ready to support a hydrogen economy. What we're now seeing is that as wind and solar have become cheaper, ways of making hydrogen from renewable energy, not from uh, natural gas, are becoming cheaper. But also as wind and solar are more used in um, the grid, we've gone from... Less than one percent in sort of 2007 uh, to now well over 20 really? percent in Australia, more than 30 to 40 percent in South Australia, really? you know, in places like that. And we're seeing high penetration. We're now getting to the point where we need to also start replacing diesel and heavy transport. We need to start finding more ways to store renewable energy or to move it from different places. So hydrogen allows you to store, transport, and use renewable energy. From that perspective, it's what's going to allow the second wave of renewable energy investment to be unleashed. Right. So if the first wave was the available of large-scale, cheap wind and solar, both in big wind farms, big solar farms, but also rooftop solar, and if that was driven by the decreasing cost of solar cells and wind turbines, primarily driven by Chinese manufacturing and economies of scale, and as I think most listeners are aware, there's been massive price drops in the cost of yes, renewable energy. Definitely. So from well over two hundred dollars a megawatt hour, you know, to under twenty dollars a megawatt hour in in locations now. Right. So we've seen a ninety or ninety five percent drop in the price of renewable energy.
0: What makes Australia and and you know and, and really the Hazel Group uniquely positioned to be kind of leading this charge?
1: Well, I think there's there's that that question actually has has two components, obviously. So for Australia. Um, and Professor Garno, who wrote the original Garneau report on climate change, you know, uh, was very strongly advocating and promoting this again just uh, at the start of this year. You know, Australia's positioned to be a superpower in the renewable and hydrogen world because we have an abundance of good wind resources and solar. And so just as some of our key trading partners today, Japan in particular and Korea, do not have domestic gas, coal or oil they actually don't have many domestic um, renewable resources either. So they're not particularly sunny and they're not particularly windy. And so in the future, where hydrogen is poised to play a role in allowing us to take the renewable component of our networks from the 30 or 40% that we're reaching today and starting to struggle with variability and intermittency to up to 70 or 80% then also it will allow us to use all of the excess wind and solar resources we have in Australia to create hydrogen which can then be exported. So if it's difficult to export an electron, you'd need a very long cable. Yeah. Of course, we're really good at exporting gas. Mm. And hydrogen can be transported, and that can be transported in a pipeline as gas. Right. Um, I sometimes reflect that everything old is new again or everything <laughs> new is old again. So when... Um, You know, the great industrialising cities of the the late 1800s built their town gas networks. Yes. So in Australia, our oldest corporation is AGL, Australian Gas and Light Company. Um, If you think of the gas networks in London Mm. and New York and the other great industrial cities of that era, they were supplied by something that was called town gas because it was decades before we had natural gas available. Now, town gas was about 50% methane and about 50% hydrogen. It was created by the partial burning of coal. Right. So we actually historically go back, have yeah, always actually. used a lot of gas in our networks. And so we're heading back to that point.
0: Why is it now sorry to cut you off. Right. Why is it now that we're turning to hydrogen? Like why hasn't this happened before? Well, I think like all technologies, um,
1: the technology matures um, in what I sort of describe physically or in an engineering sense before it does economically or commercially. Yes. So you've actually got to make the thing work really, really well and then it's about how do we bring its cost down because bringing cost down of a technology is often about the supply chain, the suppliers, the maintainers, and it's about scale. Yeah. So if you do something in one or two times, it's very expensive. If you do something at mass, it's not very, very expensive. expensive. Um, of course, the great example of that you know, is things like cars, televisions, um, but also, you know, solar is the great example that you know. Approximately, you know, a lot of solar cell development was done to support the original uh, Moon program, yes. the, the Apollo program. That's where a lot of the solar technology was really matured. And if you look back now, I think the, the panels they were using were probably somewhere north of forty thousand dollars really? a watt. Is a figure I've heard That's quoted. incredible. <laughs> and if you think now that panels were now down around about four cents a watt. Yep. Now, that's over 50 years, but yeah, prices have come down. Now, why are we looking at hydrogen now? Two reasons. One, we've now got an abundant supply of of, of low-cost wind and solar energy, and we're struggling to use it effectively. So we need something that allows us to store, transport, and use that in more flexible ways. And hydrogen allows us to do an enormous number of things with that energy. Yeah. Secondly, we're now uh, trying to um decarbonize some sections of the economy that have been relatively difficult to decarbonize so yeah there's a lot of focus on getting more renewable energy into electricity but that only makes up about 25 percent of australia's emissions you know we've also been able to decarbonize things like buildings through better building efficiency so more energy efficient buildings but we still have to decarbonize transport Mm. agriculture and there's been some good moves in that area Uh, But long term, if we're going to achieve the targets uh, that the states are setting of net zero emissions by 2050 or the Paris targets, which are broadly similar, uh, then we have to work out how to decarbonise heavy industry, cement, steel, fertilisers, and hydrogen offers a pathway to do that as well, if we can produce it at an enormous scale and if we can produce it very cheaply. So the world is now turning itself to how do we make the most effective use um, of this abundant supply of now very cheap renewable energy. Right. At the same time, unbeknownst to sort of most observers, mm. yeah, you know, there's been an enormous amount of work being done on hydrogen cars, on vessels, uh, boats, ferries, etc., trains. Yeah, you know, we have operating hydrogen trains in Germany but also an enormous amount has been done on the production side yeah. the use of electrolyzers or emerging technologies like hazes um, and all of those are coming together they're just becoming to the point where they're not cost competitive yet but we can see they will be in quite a near future and so now it's the point of how do we achieve that ramp up of scale to take advantage of the abundant supply of energy yes. that we're starting to use less effectively and also start to offer a pathway for that um, large-scale Carbon reduction in an industrial economy without shutting industries down, yeah. without moving businesses offshore, and that's the great opportunity for Australia. That as we try to decarbonise those types of industries, then our renewable energy capacity, you know, um, at low carbon, uh, could see us emerge again as a major player in a lot of those, you know, very heat and energy intensive industries.
0: And that probably brings us. This- to so the other half of that first question is what's Australia's natural strength kind of in the hydrogen plan?
1: plan? So our natural strength is, you know, the abundance of renewable energy which can allow us to support large-scale export projects. Yeah. Um, our technology and our company is focusing on a, a slightly different niche from that, um, but we're very supportive of that overall industry development. You know, we want to see the industry develop and we want to see our you know, it moved to the position where hydrogen is used as a transport fuel. It's used as a way of storing and using renewable energy. It's a way of providing grid stability and support. Uh, it's a way of shifting renewable from regions that might have a lot of renewable energy to ones that don't, or areas where there's excess energy capacity to areas where there's demand. So from a windy South Australia to Sydney, for instance, from a sunny and windy Pilbara up to North Asia, um, or even shifting it on seasons, you know, from summer to winter. And that could be a summer to winter shift in Australia where we have an abundance of solar. It might be a winter to summer shift in Europe where they have abundance of offshore wind, for instance. Right, yeah. And so that's, I think, the the drivers, that having done some of the easy stuff, just, you know, know, building energy efficiency, um, better land use practices, um, putting renewable energy into the grid, we've come down on our emissions or are starting to come down in our emissions. Um, but now we have to do the more difficult things. We'll be back speaking to Jeff in just a moment. So HAZER is a, uh, a clean technology development company. And our focus at the moment is, uh, well, our focus, I'll take it at the moment, <laughs> our focus is commercialising the HAZER process. And, and that's a low emission, a so low carbon emission way of making hydrogen and graphite. So to put that in context you know at the moment 95 percent or more of the world's hydrogen is made from natural gas um, and in that case you take a methane molecule and the chemical formula of methane is ch4 and it's one carbon atom with four hydrogen atoms and you split that apart in the presence of steam um, and what you create is carbon dioxide and hydrogen and it's a very effective, Um, brutally sort of Victorian-era way uh, of making hydrogen. Yep. So it makes it in large quantities really quite cheaply, but it produces a very high amount of CO2. Got it. So estimates vary depending on the type of process they're using or the exact details, but probably about 10 to 12 tonnes of CO2 for every tonne of hydrogen produced when you consider the heat and electricity yeah. that goes into the process as well as the CO2 produced in the process. Got so what we call scope one and scope two emissions. Now, the emerging uh, path to, to hydrogen production is using electrolysis, so splitting water to hydrogen and oxygen because it doesn't produce any carbon in the right. process. And I imagine we have a lot more of Well, water is actually quite scarce in Australia, yeah. which is funnily enough, you know, as, as the, the recent droughts and other things have shown. But no, for, for the sake of the amount of water we would need uh, to fuel an economy, you no, know, then it's unlikely to be the, the critical issue. But hydrogen um, production via electrolysis requires a really enormous amount of energy. So historically it's been very expensive because energy has been quite expensive. Now that's changing as renewables bring down the price of electricity and so the you know the, what we offer in the future is a low cost low emission way of making um hydrogen from via electrolysis by combining it directly with very large-scale wind and
0: solar farms so hydrogen is actually benefiting from other renewable energy sources, Correct. and kind of that's what it's allowing it to kind of be that next evolution or that well, the next stage
1: hydrogen. Clean hydrogen production is going to be made possible by cheap renewables at yes. a very large scale. But hydrogen benefits the other renewables by offering a way of storing their power, transporting it, and we haven't spoken about it a lot today, but using it in a broad range of ways sure. as a low-carbon feedstock for industry as a way of creating building or city block-sized heat and power schemes, um, as a way of um, enabling grid stability and grid services, and directly as a transport fuel or as a feedstock for chemical processes. Now, HAZER um, actually is a gas-based process. So having spoken about the context (laughs) of the transition to renewable hydrogen and electrolysis, what we do is we take a methane molecule Um, But we split it uh, using iron ore as a low-cost process catalyst and we split it in an reactor in an inert environment, so an environment that doesn't have excess oxygen or any oxygen available to it. And so we produce hydrogen plus a solid graphite particle from each molecule. So we don't produce any CO2 in our process. Now, only emissions are the emissions associated with um, the heat and power needed in the process. Now, we've also then taken that a step further and identified that there's a, a, a actually a way that we can go further and actually create a process which not only is a low emission, but actually generates an abatement credit. It's a negative carbon process. Okay, And that's by focusing on the use of biomethane. So methane that's come not from natural gas or you know a reservoir in the fossil fuel, Yes, but has actually come from the breakdown of organic waste. So okay. it's come from... Um, gas digesters associated with wastewater treatment plants. Mm -hmm. It's come from landfill gas. So that's gas that is naturally generated when organic waste breaks down in landfills. Or it's come from the disposal of agricultural waste or um, uh, food manufacturing wastes. So associated with things like abattoirs or pig or poultry productions or associated with things like biomass facilities associated with industries like cane or corn or, or other those. So when we use biogas, so when we use gas, which um, is part of naturally occurring carbon rather than fossil fuel carbon, mm-hmm. then we actually can generate an abatement credit of over 100 tonnes of CO2 abatement for each tonne of hydrogen we produce. Really? So that makes us by far and away the lowest carbon yeah. emission process. Now, there's a number of other benefits of our process when we um, when we step through it. So both hydrogen and graphite um, are products that we think will be needed a lot more in the 21st century. So just like in the 20th century, we might have needed oil and coal and steel. In the 21st century, we're using more and more aluminium, titanium. Uh, We're using rare earths for for things like permanent magnets in turbines. Um, And so uh, we're using a lot of nickel and copper as we go to more electrification. Um, BHP were talking about that in their results only yesterday. So you can think about the concept of this idea of 21st century minerals versus yes. 20th okay. century minerals. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, and if we look at both hydrogen and graphite, then we think both of them are going to see increased demand you know, over not just years but decades. So hydrogen is a transport fuel. Hydrogen is a way of storing and transporting renewable energy. Hydrogen is a low-carbon feedstock for our heavy industry processes. Hydrogen in our pipelines for reducing the, you know, the carbon intensity of providing heat and power. Hydrogen outright in turbines or fuel cells providing electricity, power and heat. Um, but at the same time, carbon is going to be more, you know, carbon products, graphite is going to be more and more demand for batteries as we electrify more transport and as we use batteries more extensively, more generally. Um, we also see, you know, an expanded role for carbon, we think, over the, the next decades in advanced building materials. Mm. You know, as we ser- search for building materials which have low-carbon footprints, which are light and easy to use, which are fire-retardant, you know, there's so many reasons where we, you know, we believe that it will also have you know, enhanced market demand over yes. the next decade. So we think the process is unique as it produces two uh, really modern products. Uh the other thing that i guess we see is that we see a real opportunity um, to be uh, um part of sort of smart city infrastructure yes. providing a waste to energy solution um as well as providing low emission uh carbon uh, sorry low emission hydrogen and then having a graphite byproduct which can be used in manufacturing or other local industry and so how does that work um What we see is that by using the HAZER process, so taking a biomethane molecule and producing hydrogen and graphite, then for someone like a landfill operator or a city water plant or a major estate utility, then we offer them a way to reduce their own emissions. We offer them a way of maximising the value of their waste by turning it into our high-value transport fuel, a high-value graphite product. it's an example of you know, waste to resource and waste to energy where we're actually maximising the reuse and the uptake um, of our waste. Mm. Yeah, so for all of those people on what I call my upstream side, you know, the waste, the utility people, it meets a whole lot of their really key objectives. Yes. You know, how do they reduce their emissions long term? How do they make their uh, operations as low cost as possible? You know, How do they maximise the benefit back to their local community of the service they provide? At the same time, by making hydrogen based on biomethane, then we offer a negative carbon product to our customers. And so if you're a major trucking fleet, not only are you reducing your emissions uh, because of the hydrogen that you're using in place of diesel, but by using hydrogen from a hazer plant that's been working with a wastewater treatment plant or a landfill, you then get an abatement credit, which you could use to offset the emissions from your fleet that's still operating course, on diesel, yeah. or your other operations. Yes. So we think that's a really great niche for the customers. Then for the people, you know, I guess the bodies that knit it together, you know, the state or local governments that manage these types of activities, whether it's transport fleets mm. or waste, then it achieves so many of their objectives. You know, it increases local use of materials, it stimulates local economic activity, it creates you know, circular chains within yeah. you know, the circular economy within local area. So we think we've got a, you know, a unique process. Um, it's strongly protected by patents. It's uh, IP that came out of the Australian University system, which we're very proud of. Um, we think we've got an innovative con- commercial niche in that we've identified that in the, in, the, in the hydrogen market, at the moment, we're in early stage. So we're doing demonstration projects and working with early adopters. So an opportunity, an offering such as ours, that allows um so many benefits beyond just the production of hydrogen we think will naturally get to the front of the queue we hope yes um and so we think we're really well poised to actually bring this technology you know to maturation you know as the market starts to find its feet and establish its models what 2019 was a busy year for you guys what were some of the highlights for you well 2019 was critical for us because it was this transition from being a laboratory and pilot right. technology to one which people could see and feel and touch. So our main focus in 2019 uh, was in uh, starting uh, the, the process of developing a first commercial demonstration project. So if I step back in our technology a little bit, our technology uh, after being originally developed in the universities then went through some uh, stages of pre-commercial research and some laboratory research. Um, And those programs were were run very successfully by the HAZER team uh, with the University of Sydney. Through 2017 and into 2018, we went to the next stage of developing the technology with the pilot plants. So that was um, a pilot plant, and we actually have two pilot plants, one owned by HAZER and one owned by our collaboration partner, Mineral Resources. And those pilot plants upscaled the core piece of the technology, the, the reactor. You know, the vessel that creates, manages and controls the reaction that transforms the methane into hydrogen and graphite. So through with the success of those pilot plants in 2018 into the early part of 2019, we committed uh, to accelerate the engineering um, and look to move into the next stage, building a fully operational 24-7 uh, commercial demonstration plant. Wow. Now, through 2019, we achieved a number of milestones that we look to finish off in the first part of this year Mm -hmm. so that we can enter construction of this plant. And as we've spoken to shareholders and others about before, our objective is to be able to take a final investment decision on this project in the first quarter of this year uh, with a view to having the plant uh, completed and commissioned uh, before the end of first quarter next year. So um, first quarter 2021 the key steps in getting that done was you know, firstly we, we initiated um, early engineering studies which we call feed studies front-end engineering and design uh, we then established a memorandum of understanding with the water corporation in Western Australia so this the utility that provides water and drainage services to the city of Perth um, And under that MOU, we have um, agreed uh, with them that we will buy biogas from from their Woodman Point wastewater treatment plant that's currently being fled and that they'll also allow us to establish the commercial demonstration plant on um, land that's part of their wastewater treatment site. Right. And so that's a collaboration where they hope that we can prove and demonstrate a technology that will long-term enhance their business and we were looking for a partner that would give us um, an operating site and access to the biogas we needed to prove our project. Mm. And so that's a, a relationship that we developed in 2019 um, and is uh, we've been very grateful for their yeah. cooperation and collaboration and, it uh, in my view, continues to go from strength to strength. So we now have a term sheet with them for the supply of biogas. So they will sell biogas to us for yeah. us to process into hydrogen and graphite. And we also have a term sheet on the collaboration and development agreement about how we will um, be allowed access uh, to their site and you know what rules and protocols we'll both observe for safety yeah. and good operations. That was uh, obviously very key because that then gave us a specific location we could start engineering around and gave us a specific quality of feed we could start engineering around. So through the second half of the year, we then kicked off what we call an ECI, an Early Contractor Involvement uh, engineering strategy where we commenced uh, an update of the feed study and the commencement of a detailed design exercise with an external engineering contractor. And we're working with an innovative uh, smaller engineering company in Perth called Primero Group, and they've uh, provided uh, a really good engineering service to us. Great. So that uh, engineering product has been developed up over the last six uh, six months and to provide the uh, the process flow diagrams, the, the piping instrumentation diagrams, the equipment data sheets, the material balances, the utility requirements to allow us to develop a, uh, a robust and detailed uh, capex and opex estimates for the plant and a set of plans which we could then um, use to, um, to, to let the contracting and supply sure. of, the, of the project. So that's progressed you know, really well, and we're hoping to tie that up. And the final details are up to allow the project decision to be made this quarter. Um, the other sort of key components were, of course, how do we start funding the project? Yes. And um, a major you know, development and the big step forward there was our agreement with ARENA. You know, ARENA is the Australian Renewable Energy Agency. Yes. Uh, established... Oh, a number of years ago now, and they um, support the development of technologies which are in the pre-commercial or near-commercial stage um, through grant funding. Um, so we were have been approved for a grant of up to $9.4 million from ARENA. Oh, um, To support both the capital, yes, the building of the project and the operations phase. Um, and we're currently finalising the detailed funding agreement, which will set the rules of how and when we can draw down Um, that grant money and what we have to do to qualify for each drawdown Um, and we expect that to be completed um, in the very near future so there's been a a long and detailed negotiation and then just before Christmas we sort of announced I guess what I'd think of as in a way the last step in the Mm. chain which was a agreement of a non binding term sheet uh, with BOC limited um, a leading industrial gas company part of one of the largest industrial gas groups in the world um, and BOC uh, and Hayes have agreed a term sheet on which they'll be the off-taker of the hydrogen, of how they will buy the hydrogen, and they'll be responsible for transport and distribution of that to customers. Um, and we look forward to working with them uh, with the objective of getting it to a, a final end customer uh, in parallel to uh, the building of the project. Yeah. So 2019 set us up for what will be an even busier year in 2020 where we expect to be building, so designing, fabricating, buying equipment like compressors, gas separation units, building and fabricating the the large-scale reactor. Um, So it will be a really busy year as we go into the construction and execution phase of this, the first fully integrated, fully working, continuously
0: operating example of the HAZER process. So it certainly seems like not only is hydrogen going to be an incredibly high-growth market, but also the technology that supports it is going to be an enabler of other types of energy and starting to make those more efficient.
1: Is that correct? Yeah, I think that's a a reasonable way to to look at it. And in many ways, it's a a virtuous circle. Yes. So low-cost renewables has made the potential of of clean hydrogen uh, at enormous scale and low-cost viable. The fact that that's likely to be viable then shows us a way that we can decarbonise transport and that we can provide storage to, to make advantage of those low-cost u- renewables using hydrogen as the storage medium, but also as a way that we can decarbonise industry. So those two have reinforced each other. Yes. You know, that hydrogen means that we can make the most advantage of the plunging cost of renewables and the plunging cost of renewables makes hydrogen cheap and therefore hydrogen can be used. I guess the other sort of virtuous circle there is that you know the, the basic chemistry of hydrogen plus oxygen makes water so that you can you know you can use hydrogen time and time again without ever you know adding emissions into the uh, into the atmosphere. Yeah. so that that'll work together. I think the other thing that'll work together is just essentially um, efficiency. Uh, another way that I think that we can think about where hydrogen is um, a great enabler is that um, a hydrogen vehicle is an electric vehicle. Yes. um, Which wasn't immediately apparent to me before I started working in the industry. And so in the future, we could think about having um, electric vehicles charged by batteries, which are really good for urban driving, for cars that uh, aren't used all the time. So if you think of something like your Uber fleet or people using cars to get to and from work or move people, uh, pick people up from school, children up from school... Move, you know, move people around. But on the other hand, you could see, uh, you know, and those vehicles are likely to be really cheap, quite small, but they take time to charge. Um, on the other hand, you know, a hydrogen fuel cell vehicle still has an electric motor, still has an electric drive train, so it will still benefit from all of the economies of scale that we're seeing coming in the electric vehicle industry. But it powers its motor by making electricity on demand by putting hydrogen through a fuel cell. Yes. And so when you put hydrogen through a fuel cell, as we've spoken about a couple of times, you get water out the tailpipe, no other emissions. But that means a hydrogen car can be refuelled the same way that you refuel your diesel Land Cruiser or you know, your petrol Corolla today yeah, you know, or your Kenworth truck you know, or your Mack truck. And so particularly for large vehicles, for vehicles which have um, long-range requirements, for vehicles which may be... Are not reliably in the same place for charging uh, as often um, you can fill them up at a bowser you yeah. know, it even looks the hydrogen bowser looks like a petrol bowser there's actually two hydrogen refueling stations in australia but canberra opened one in december which will support an initial fleet of 20 hydrogen yes. vehicles so you know you can see um, a world where hydrogen yeah you know, will also address those concerns people have about range heavy vehicles truck fleets and it's possible to imagine Um, that maybe smaller and lighter vehicles will be more battery and heavier and larger vehicles will be more hydrogen.
0: Look, thank you so much for your time today. I've learned a lot. I'm sure our listeners are going to learn a lot. Um, i hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next time to talk about the business behind energy. For more information about Hazer Group, please head to their website at www.hazergroup.com.au.